0: saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it.
1: Good morning. <clears throat> Been thinking about some things to to talk about today, and just going over it this week. The only thing that kept coming back to is, man, it's hot. And you know, I've thought about it, and I don't remember it being this hot since about this time last year. You know, <laughs> it's part of it, and. And we deal with it. But it'll wear on us, won't it? And the hotter it gets, the grumpier we get. Things tend to irritate us a little more. And all we can think about is finding some relief. That's just the best word for it. Jesus went through that too. If you look in John chapter 4, I'm going to start just reading in in verse 4. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from the long walk, and he sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Okay, he was tired. We know this story is the Samaritan woman at the well. As you read through this story, it gets down to it. When she came to draw water from the well, what's the first thing he asked her? He didn't say, hi, how are you? He said, please give me a drink. He needed relief. He went on to, to tell her during that teaching moment about who he was and what he had come to do for us in the world. You know, he said, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. <clears throat> Jesus came to give us relief. And it's not just from the heat. You know, we're we're going to live, we lived through last week, and we're going to make it through these next few days, which are going to be kind of tough, it sounds like. But during those times, we're going to need relief from the heat, from trials, from arguments. There's just a host of things that each one of us deal with every day. God knows we're going to have troubles, and he offers to be our relief. If you look in Matthew verse chapter 11, verse 28, then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. It never says that God's going to take our problems away. But he'll give us the rest, the strength, And he will be our relief if we let him. And that's what we're commemorating now. We take the Lord's Supper. It's a time, just what Don said, we go back and we examine, we think about, we look at what Jesus did for us. A lot of us have grown up our whole lives, you know, we've heard the story of Jesus and how he died for our sins. Have you ever thought about what that means? He didn't just die for your sins. He gave His life so that you don't have to be afraid anymore. Let's remember that when we partake. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that You love us so much and that You are are our relief during stressful times. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, draw us to you, Father, as we partake, that we would truly come closer to you and be able to pass that love and relief on to the rest of the world around us. In Jesus' name, we pray.
0: It doesn't really matter which party, people just don't trust politicians. Is that a fair statement? A 2019 study done by Rasmussen said that in America, less than 4% believe politicians keep their promises. In fact, the study went on to say 87% say they rarely have seen politicians keep promises. So 87 plus 4 is 91% believe they don't. My question would say, then, why do they keep getting elected? (laughs) But actually, the data wouldn't agree with that. According to a group called PolitiFact that has been tracking this, they've gone all the way back to the 1940s, specifically in presidential elections, of presidents that made campaign promises. They either fully kept them or reached a reasonable compromise 71% of the time. That's the average in American presidents. All the way back to the 1940s. I thought that was interesting. They compared it worldwide. In Great Britain, it's 82% have kept kept their promises. Uh, Canada, of their leadership, 73% have been uh, uh, kept their promises. And even in Greece, 70% of their elected officials can show data that they kept their promises. Then why do 9 out of 10 Americans... Believe they lie maybe maybe their word doesn't really matter anymore we're in this series called Point of Impact: Does knowing Jesus, does having a walk with the Lord affect us at all now i 'm going to say right at the outset some of you, this sermon is not for okay it doesn't apply to you so I still don't want you to tune out, but you're going to look at this and go, yeah, I know that, Don. That's totally fine. If you know this, great. But for some others, I want us to be reinforced. We've been talking a lot this year about being people of the Word. I want to ask, are we people of our Word? We're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and... And I didn't actually start there. I ended up I was really in second Samuel, but I went back to this part. In First Samuel chapter 20, it says 13, but we're going to go back to 12 and pick up First Samuel chapter 20, verse 12. If you're joining us online, thanks for joining us at Central Christian Church here in Portalis and for listening on the radio. First First uh, Samuel 20 verse 12. Then Jonathan told David, I promise by the Lord, the God of Israel, that by this time tomorrow or the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father and let you know at once how he feels about you. If he speaks favorably about you, I will let you know. But if he is angry and wants you killed, may the Lord strike me and even kill me if I don't warn you so you can escape and live. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. And may you treat me with faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. Okay, Don, you started in the middle of a paragraph. Can you give us a little backstory on that? Here's the situation David knows Saul. King Saul is out to get him. King Saul is the king currently, David is the king anointed. Okay? Saul's figured out that David. He he loved him when he first came on the scene. By the end of it, he's like, "Hey, man, we got to get rid of that guy." All right. So Saul is trying to kill him. Jonathan is Saul's son, and and David kind of figures out, "Hey, I can't really confide in Jonathan anymore because I mean, blood runs deep, you know. Uh, He, uh, he, it's going to be a situation where he's going to be torn between his dad and." And me, his friend. And and Jonathan would rather die than betray his friend, even against his own family. So here's a question today. How much do we honor our word? We certainly don't trust politicians. We don't trust some salesmen. And I would be willing to bet most of us don't trust telemarketers. Anybody? you got enough extended warranty on your car. There are people we don't trust because we've seen them uh, be a little sketchy before. Is that a fair statement? Here's my question then. Do people feel the same way about Christians? Would they add that into that list of telemarketers and salesmen? Because, hey, we say we love everybody, but have we really loved everybody? just asking have we really backed up our words I mean, we say we love everyone sometimes we just don't do we now the vow jonathan's oath is i will protect you from my dad and he gives this reason because god is with you he even goes on to say he used to be with my dad. <laughs> He's not him with any anymore. He knew where his alliances should be. May he be with you as he used to be with my dad. And then he makes this vow. May the Lord strike me and kill me if I don't honor my vow. I mean, we've always grown up on, well, it's scouts honor, or uh, on my mother's grave, or cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. You know, we, we've all made these kind of comments. Do you hear what Jonathan's saying? Jonathan would rather die than break his vow. He would rather die than misuse his word. Jonathan sees violating his words as a violation against God. Now that's huge. He sees even a a casual conversation as a violation against God's word. Do Americans keep their promises? Psychology Today in 2019 did a study. I went back and read some of it this week. They studied Americans keeping their promises in a lot of different variations. But the place where Americans kept their promise the most, they backed up their words the most, was when money was involved. 88% of the time, Americans that had a a contract or a verbal that involved money, they paid it back. That could be a loan at a bank or a loan from a family member or an IOU or, or, or something. They paid it back. But when the issue was on verbal commitment, just I, I'll tell you, I'll do that, that it fell in different variations from 20 to almost 40% lower. When it fell to almost 40% lower, that's almost half of Americans not keeping their word. Then why do we gri- gripe at politicians? What happened to the handshake deals? A lot of you grew up on handshake deals. You didn't, you didn't need 400 pages at a bank with a lawyer looking over it and everything, notarized. you said, hey, I'll buy that house from you, I'll buy that land from you, I'll pay you this much, and you did it because we honored our word. Huffington Post in 2016 did this study. It was a small study, but it was interesting. It said they asked would people keep their promises. They studied 60 people, 6-0, 60 people that were at a college and they were majoring in counseling or psychology. So they're already talking to people that are thinking about how people think. Is that fair? That we're only talking about that group of people that would talk about how or they're studying how people think. And here was one of the questions. They said, write down what commitments you make for next week. And here were some of the commitments. Study more. Do this paper early. Finish that essay. Do my stats homework. And a half of the group watched someone come up and read their commitments in front of the group. And the other half of the group were told... No one's going to see this, we'll wad it up, we'll throw it away. No one is going to have to to know. Which do you think kept their word more? The one that wrote it down and it was publicly stated, or the one that was thrown away and nobody learned? How many think it was the publicly stated one? That's exactly where I said. And it was exactly wrong. It was actually the other side. It was the... uh, So maybe the, the lesson is you know if you want to keep your promises don't make them public I, I i don't know the data on it i it was weird but i that seems so contra contradictory uh, contraindictive of what we're doing but it was interesting that they studied and the ones that that committed to it and really followed through were ones that made that verbal promise this this quote is from a show that was on a few years ago called House of Cards with Kevin Spacey. And it's not a great show. I don't recommend it. But it had this quote in it. Congressman, uh, the, the guy Kevin Spacey played, Congressman Frank Underwood. He had promised, or the guy that had promised Secretary of State. And then he was the new president. And, and a guy reneged on a deal. And then he made this statement. The other guy said, I know I made a promise, but circumstances have changed. And Kevin Spacey's character said this line The nature of promises is that they remain immune to changing circumstances. Do we honor our words irrelevant of changing circumstances? Because I think that's a very big characteristic. If we're going to be Christ followers and we're going to be people of the word, then we need to be people of our word, don't you think? Jonathan makes this vow. Go back to with me in 1 Samuel 9. He makes this vow, and he adds a caveat. May you treat me that way with faithful love, and if I die, pass that love down. This is Jonathan avoiding probate, okay? This is his last will and testament. Hey, this is how this is going to play out, all right? He's telling it all how he wants it played out. But you know what I loved about this? Jonathan puts his part first, I will do this for you, and may I die if I don't do this. And your part of this vow is after that. Isn't it funny that we often get that backwards with God? Hey, God, if you'll do this, then I will. You know, if you prove yourself first, then I'll prove myself. Jonathan did it the other way. He's like, I'm putting me first. God fixed this. And I'll do my part. No, no. I'm going to do my part. You see, the nature of covenants in the Bible, in Old Testament times, they were eternal. They were life and death commitments. They were fatal if violated. In fact, in many of the Hebrew sections, it says... Cut a covenant. And I thought that was a weird phrase. Why would it say cut a covenant? And you go back into it. One of the ways they made contracts in that time was they would take, you know, whether it was to buy land or do something like that. I'm going to make a contract with you. I will give you 14 goats and a chicken for that piece of land. Whatever the deal was, all right? They would take an animal. They would kill this animal and fillet it, splay it out on the ground, and both would walk through it. I know it's gross, but that's how they they honored their words they said what has happened to this animal I want to happen to me if I don't honor my contract that's the cut of a covenant you see it was in their mindset it was in their culture to honor commitments no matter what is it in the mindset of a Christ follower to honor our word the short answer should be absolutely like I said some of you are sitting here going, I don't really need this. Then I'm not talking to you. But how many how many times do we look for ways and loopholes in our lifestyle? Maybe we need to go deeper in our commitments. Do you show up on time? When you're making an arrangement, do you show up on time? Or do you if you can't get there, do you call with regrets? Do you call and say, hey, man, I'm sorry something's come up, but I can't make it. Or a short text or something to let people know what's going on. How about this one? Do you RSVP? Because that is... I'm bad at that. I get the little card in the mail, or you come into our wedding. Oh, yeah, I'll mail that back in a year or two. Uh, you know, and it sits up on the table. Anybody? Anybody? You know, we mean to, but we don't. And all of those people at home are waiting, man, I want to know who's coming. Do we honor our word? Do you show up when you signed up? Because. I I go back to this one from last week, this uh, Admiral McRaven. I've been reading through one of his books. Man, it's it's really powerful. If you weren't with us last week, he's this uh, admiral, was Navy SEAL, and he gave this commencement speech in 2014, and he said the ten rules for living, and the very first one was make your bed. Make your bed is the very first rule you need in living because if you don't do the little things right, you're not going to do the big things right. We need to do the little things of keeping our word in every factor so that it shows up in our character. So what happens? Does Jonathan keep his word? Does David keep his word? Then flip over a few pages to 2 Samuel 9. Like I said, I actually wanted to start with it, and that's where I started. I was wanting to talk about Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. It's not an easy one, and it's going to come up a lot. It's going to get real tongue-tied in here, but in Second Samuel nine is the story of Mephibosheth, and this is the story of grace in action. But I, I was started with Mephibosheth, and then I found this vow, and I went back and I was really thinking about the vow. Here's what happens in Second Samuel chapter nine. One day David asked, "Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness?" For Jonathan's sake, he summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked? Yes, sir, I am. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He's crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked? In Lodabar. At the home of Makir, son of Amiel, Ziba told him. So David sent for him and brought him from Makir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I'll give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, And you'll eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who's your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him, to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, Yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at the king's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants, and Mephibosheth who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem, and ate regularly at the king's table. For fun this afternoon, say, Mephibosheth's servants five times. That'll keep you on your toes right there. Now let's go back and look at some of this. The chapter before this, Flip back and look at chapter 8. The chapter 8 of, of Second Samuel talks about David's successes. Look at all, if you glance back, you look back in verse 13, it says David became even more famous. In verse 14, the Lord made David victorious. In verse 15, David did what was just and right for all his people. This is big, okay? David did right for all his people. He is popular. He is famous. He is rich. He is powerful. And he did right for all his people. He didn't have to honor his word in this one little bitty area. Who's going to know? What's the big deal? It's not going to mean that much. Nobody's going to catch me. But he did. Is there anyone from Saul's house still alive for Jonathan's sake? It says in the New Living. In the message, it says, I want to honor Jonathan. Do we see how important that phrase is? I want to honor my word. Because a lot of us might look at it and say, that one, we could squeak by. Do you realize in Old Testaments we talked about this, and in Old Testament times and many, and, and not even just Old Testament, but historically, many times when there was a coup or a change in leadership, the new king would kill off all of the, past king's family which i know that doesn't sound nice it's not real churchy and god and all that but that's how they did it you know if the new king came in, let's get rid of all of them why because they didn't want some grandson getting all mad and sneaking in a knife or something so anytime there was a change they usually killed the wife the kids the grandkids killed everybody just to save themselves the hassle i'm not saying it's right i'm just saying that's how it did but david chose it to honor his commitments now he had this unnamed son living in lodabar i mean we didn't even know his name when it first starts out lodabar which is really interesting lodabar means no thing grows not nothing grows no thing grows. Another translation was a place of no pasture, a desert wasteland. And at this point, his name has not even been mentioned. Oh, yeah, he's got a son. He's living down in Lodabar. He's crippled. That's the, the, the title he gets. And the tone to me is clear. Crippled, loser, bottom of the heap, left in the desert to rot and dry. You're like, why is, why is he crippled? If you want to, you can go back to Second Samuel 4, and you can find the story about what happened. When, when Mephibosheth was a little boy, there was war going on. The nursemaid grabbed him up and picked him up and started running, and he slipped and dropped him. And he dropped him, and both ankles broke. Well, they didn't have really great orthopedic surgeons in that time. So that's how he grew up, with broken legs. But in that culture, if you couldn't work, you weren't much, all right? Even if he was the king's son, he wouldn't be valuable. He was broken. He was less. He was crippled. Have you ever been there? Maybe not crippled, but somebody labeled you before they knew the whole story, before they knew what happened to you. Maybe it was something harsh like alcoholic, divorced failure. Maybe it was just something that, oh, he's mean. She's, she's really rude. Maybe it's something like that. Have you ever heard those names or those labels and you've tied them to feelings, feelings of despair, hopeless anxiety? Our theme this week at camp was community. It was based on the TV show called community. And we were, how do you build community? What does it, what does it mean to be community? What does it mean to live in community? And in our small group, I had some of our own young people and some others from other groups. One of the days we started talking about what is it that pulls you out of community? What are the things that Pulls you away, And so we gave out three by five cards, no names. I don't want to know who wrote this. Uh, we're just going to gather them all up. We're going to mix them all up and we're going to read them. What are the, the most struggles? All of them came in two categories. And I mean, every single one, we had 16 in our group. Every single one of them came in one of two categories. My friends pull me away or I have anxiety of build, about building friendships. Every single one of them was some variation of those two things. Anxiety and our friends are pulling us away. This is a story of hope and promises filled. And remember, our identity is not based on what we did or what somebody else labeled us. It is in God. Now put yourself in this guy's shoes. A knock on the door, a knock on the door from the king. That king, that king. <laughs> that king. <laughs> The one that drove your grandpa crazy with all of the stuff, and, and then he died. How would you respond? Knock, knock, knock. The king would like to speak with Mephibosheth. Oh, nothing good is coming from that. That's called to the principal's office on steroids, right? Uh, it is bad. Uh, he had to be scared. He had to know, uh-oh, my miserable life is about to get miserabler uh, it, it, it's about to be really, really bad. And the first words out of the king's mouth, his name. He calls him by name, not cripple, not son of. He calls his name. Mephibosheth came in on his knees. No authority, no hope. His first words are, I'm your servant. Please don't kill me. You know, I, I work for you. There is a metaphor here. Our Savior knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows everything you've done. If you have any questions, go read Psalm 139. He's known you since before you ever set foot on this planet. Our Savior calls you by name. And the very next words from the king are, Don't be afraid. Isn't that interesting? It sounds a lot like, right, right when I was reading it, said, don't be afraid. Do you remember when the the angel appeared to a bunch of shepherds out in the field? What were his first words? Don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy. He assumed the worst. Oh, man, the, the best thing that could happen here is jail. <laughs> The worst is, I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be killed. There's pain. And now the king offers you the world. You just hit the DNA lottery, all right? You just landed it all. You won the mega pot. And Mephibosheth's response is, Why should you show kindness to a dead dog? Now, some of you might be offended by that, but in that, car- in that culture, dogs were not pets. I don't care what, how cute yours is at home, they didn't have pets. Dog was a a terrible thing. Dog was a scavenger. Dog was mangy. Dog was a nuisance. And they were... So he's saying, why would you show love to something that is worthless? Do we realize when things go weird that fear is often our first response? When things aren't working out, oh my goodness. I mean, that is almost our you know a fight or flight it's it's a gut response but god is calling us to trust even when it doesn't make sense i trust you god i trust that you are going to work this painful situation this weird situation this situation i don't understand you're going to work it into something great you see this is a portrait of a word grace and grace really is amazing. It's not just a song. Grace is really amazing. I don't deserve it. I cannot earn it. Yet he gives his love away. Grace defines us. How are you defined? How, how often do you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm so-and-so from such-and-such, and I do this. Or do you, do you realize that your label is a Christ follower? Our old label might say worthless, liar, cheat, made mistakes, divorced, loser, alcoholic, unproductive, damaged, angry. You, you can fill in the blank anything you want. Those are the old labels. We're not going to use those labels anymore. The new label says you are Christ you're his masterpiece. That verse that Marie er, said earlier: Salvation's not a reward for all the good things you done. He did it. He did it all. It's not on you. It's on what he did. And this is a picture of Christ. You and I are lame and in the desert. It couldn't be any more accurate. Lo debar bar, poor Talus. I, I, I don't know. You know. <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe it's just respelled. I, But you see, Jesus looks for the fallen and the hurt and the marginalized and the the ones that might not have it all figured out. They might even feel left out. Mephibosheth did nothing to deserve this. He did nothing to deserve grace. He was treated better than he deserved. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's masterpiece. I love that verse, but when you tell it to a bunch of teenagers, do you know how hard that is for sometimes they hear it and they go, Masterpiece this? <laughs> you didn't do very good, God. He has known you since before you were born. He knows every flaw in you. He knows every thing about you. He knows your weight. He knows your hairstyle or lack thereof. He knows anything and everything about you. And I want you to see something from this week. Like I said, our theme was community. Now, you can't tell much from this picture. It's a little dark, and I I apologize for that, but it's really important you hear the story behind this picture. Now, what you see is the back of a bunch of teenagers. I'll tell you right now, that's the back of the teenagers from this church family. And during the nights, uh, we would have nightly worship, and as you would probably recognize we were singing songs they have these three little wooden framed altars where you can come up and you can kind of just kneel down and they'd asked us leaders to kind of just stand around you know uh, one of the guys caught me you're a pastor we go up there in case oh yeah you kind of know we so i'm standing off to the side just go up there and maybe put a hand on somebody and but the music's playing we can't really talk it's just a moment and They're not saying what they're dealing with. They're just, they're dealing with something. So two of our young people came up and they knelt down at that altar. And I came around and I stood kind of behind them and put my hand on his shoulder. And two more of our kids got up and came over and put hands on their shoulder. And then three more. And then two more. And in a matter of about a minute, all 27 of our group was right there. And they were laying hands. And they weren't gossiping. And they weren't asking anything. They were just, this is our friend. That's our family. They're hurting. We're hurting. Then we're going to stand with them. Man, that was such a powerful image to me. It was so incredible to see. Friends, knowing God is not an equation it's a relationship. It's not a, if you do A and you do B, then you'll get C, all right? It's not, a, it's not math. It's, it's relational. It's drawing close to him. It's being caught up in the presence of the king. But Don, you don't understand. I'm broken. I'm lost. I'm messed up. I can't possibly get in the presence of the king. Friends, yes, you can. I got to tell you, I can't wait to interview Mephibosheth. He's on my list. I'm keeping a list of all the guys I want to hear the rest of the story. Okay. Adopted by David. You're going to live here. You're going to eat here. You belong here. Friends, that's what you and I are. That is an absolute picture of what Jesus has done to you and me. Some of the best blessings only come through our brokenness. And He is offering that to all of us. Friends, not only do I want us to be people of the Word, I want us to be people of our Word. David honored his Word, and he didn't have to. Jonathan honored his Word, and he didn't have to. But he did it. We need to be people of our word. And realizing that sometimes it doesn't work out. But we're going to stand on our word, on our commitments to Jesus. Amen? That's the kind of community I want to be a part of. Will you pray with me? God, hurting or celebrating, you are king in the valley and on top of the mountain, you are worthy of our praise. Sometimes, Father, things are broken and messed up, like us. Which is really fun because you give grace to just those kind of people, messed up and broken. So, Father, for the hearts in this room that are hurting, May we gather around them and put our hands on or emotionally or metaphorically reach out and put a hand on. Maybe we don't even know the situations. But Father, may we draw and be caught up in Your presence because Your mercy is so amazing and Your grace is greater than all of our sins. Through Jesus we praise you, we glorify you, you are worthy of our praise. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.